today, uh, even though we're, we're finishing up what your money would say to you, I, I want to tie this into a bigger picture, right? Because American Christians talk a whole lot about Jesus and me. Uh, because we believe that, that, that having a relationship with Jesus is the best way to live and it's the only way to die. But when you do that and you become an individual and you don't get in, plugged into a church, you're missing a really huge part because um, nowhere does Jesus talk about your uh, relationship with him is supposed to be private. Your relationship with Jesus is supposed to go public. In fact, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 10, He says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. So we're going to say it like this. Christianity is very personal, but nowhere it was not supposed to be private. You don't find that in the scripture. Um, Jesus expects us to gather on a regular basis, even in the midst of a pandemic like COVID. Um, He wants us to gather together. And if you can't come here, I'm just going to encourage you people that are watching online, you need to have watch parties because there's something that happens. For example, with prayer, when you pray by yourself, the Holy Spirit of God invades your life and he changes you. Prayer Prayer doesn't really focus on changing God's heart. God changes us through prayer. But when you pray with someone else, there's this extra fire. I don't know. The Holy Spirit shows up and it ignites something in each of you. And not only will you draw closer to God when you pray regularly with someone else, you'll draw closer to those people. Um, I, I tell people this all the time. When you're dating, if do not pray with somebody of the opposite sex that you don't intend to marry because there is an intimate thing that will happen. I'm not going to pray with someone of the opposite sex to whom I'm not related unless my, my wife is there with me. We pray together every night, Janie and I do, and, and it's some, it, it connects us. But we have a group of people that we pray with too, and we've been praying with them for a couple of years, and, and our hearts are knit together. There is something about praying with other people. God wants you to regularly gather with other people. Uh, when you pray with others, your relationship with God goes to an HNL. You know what that is? It's a whole nother level, right? It's the same with worship. You can leave that up there, see if anybody remembers. It's the same with worship. You can worship in your car. In fact, I, I, I drove up out here in the parking lot. I'm not even going to say who this was, but I drove in the parking lot just the other day, and I saw one of our church members sitting over there, and she rolls the window down. She cracks up. She said, had you gotten here 10 seconds earlier, I had my music just rocking, and I was worshiping the Lord. She said, so I, I would have been a little embarrassed, and I said, no big deal. Um, anyway, some of you worship in your cars, right? Y'all remember Easter Sunday when we were back here? We, we couldn't have church. We couldn't have more than 10 people in the church, so we had drive-in church, and I loved it when you were honking your horns. It was so much fun. Some of you, you think there's this invisible shield around your car, so when you're sitting at some stoplight, man, you're just getting down. Whoa, Jesus! And somebody, you look over, and you're like, ooh, excuse me, right? You can worship in your car, and it can be powerful. Uh, <laughs> I hope they never go back and rewind some of the, the film on, you know, we have cameras up for security because there's times when I'm playing music in here and I'm just walking up and down the aisles praising God. There's something awesome about worshiping by yourself, but there is something more intense when you worship with a crowd. It's contagious. Have y'all ever witnessed it? I was in England several years ago. Uh, it was my graduation present. Got to go with a choir uh, after I graduated Baylor and we sang and, and there was a lost girl who was with our tour company and after we sang in this castle so it, there's about I don't know 20 of us in this choir and we had a couple of instruments accompanying us and, and so it's just we're singing in this choir and I looked at this girl on the second row and she's weeping and, and afterwards she said what was that? I said what are you talking about? 
She goes, I've never experienced that in my life. And I said, well, we were worshiping. I said, and, and here's the thing. Lost people can, can, can view, can observe genuine worship. Lost people can't genuinely worship because they don't have the Holy Spirit inside them, but they can see it and they know it. And when you worship with other people, it's contagious. So some of you, some of you worship in your cars. Some of you need to come and, and worship here. Uh, and it's because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and worship him as if our lives depend on it when we're worshiping together because I don't know if you know this, but our lives depend on him. Something happens. Now, I want to challenge you with this statement today. This is what's going to kind of carry us through this whole talk today. As a church, as individuals, we will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. That's not what you're called to as a follower of Christ. We are instead, we are faith-filled, big thinking, but the farm risk takers. We want, we want to see God do the impossible. We want to believe God for miracles. We want to dream that God will do for us exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we ask or imagine. That's Ephesians 3.20. We want to pray that, and we want to see God do things for his glory. I want to have, personally, I want to have the type of faith that amazes Jesus. I don't know if you know this. There's two times in Scripture that Jesus was amazed, and they're on the opposite ends of the amazement spectrum. Two times he was amazed by people for two different reasons. The first story is in Matthew uh, is in Mark chapter 6. He's in his hometown of Nazareth and he's talking in the synagogue. He's teaching in the synagogue. Every Sabbath day Jesus went to the synagogue. And so um, if he's at church and we're following Jesus, now I'm trying to make a distinction in our church between believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus. There's a difference because even the demons believe in James, the half-brother of Jesus says they shudder. There's a difference in believing that Jesus existed and following him. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to have a regular pattern of worshiping him, being in the church or at least having some type of, of a watch party and worshiping with other people because it's a commandment of scripture. Jesus was in the church every week and you should be somehow involved in worship every week. People should look at your life and they should say, where's he going? I don't know. He's following Jesus. He just keeps talking about following Jesus. Well, Jesus would go to church. Jesus would serve in the community. Jesus would go on mission trips. Jesus would tell coworkers about him. In verse two, he's, he's teaching and all of these people know him, right? Because he's in Nazareth. This is where he was born. It's where he grew up. It's where he learned his father's trade. And so they, they hear him teaching, they see him healing people, and they ask, where does this power come from? How does he get this wisdom? How does he get this power? And there's only two options. He either gets it from God or he gets it from the enemy of God. And so we pick it up in verse 3, and it says this. Then they, the people of Nazareth, what did they do? I highlighted it. They did what? They scoffed. Why would they scoff at the Son of God? Here's why. He's just a carpenter. He's ordinary. There's nothing special about him. He's ordinary. Look at this next one. He's the son of Mary. Now, in this culture, it's a huge disrespect if you refer to someone as the son of the mom. If you didn't talk about his dad, even if his dad was gone. We don't know where Joseph was at this time. But even if he's gone now, the picture, if you refer to him as the son of the mama, that's like saying he's a mama's boy. It's a huge disrespect. It's an insult. He's the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. His whole family's ordinary. I don't know if you know this. Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, but she wasn't a virgin after she gets married. She has other children, right? It's just, she's ordinary. It was, it was ordinary. And since they couldn't explain him, they took offense at him. Look what it says. They were, how, how offended were they? Deeply. 
deeply offended, and look what the next phrase is, and refused to believe in him. I don't know where that went. They refused to believe in him. They're thinking, how could this ordinary man from this ordinary family do these things? Now, the next verse, verse five, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. There was no limitation on his power. His purpose was to perform miracles in the presence of faith. You remember the lady who just touched the hem of his garment and she was healed? There was faith there. But in this situation, there's very little faith, so he did very few miracles. And then look what it says. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Can I tell you, I grew up in the Baptist church. I've been in Baptist churches all my life. Whether you know it or not, we are affiliated with the Southern Baptists of Texas. And my experience in most Baptist churches is they're filled with people who, are, who have a lack of belief. And so I think that's why Jesus doesn't work a whole lot of miracles because there's not a presence of people who have faith. So Jesus, in this case, he was amazed by unbelief. These people were Jews. Um, they were religious people who should, actually, they, they had most of the Old Testament memorized, and they should have been looking for the Messiah. They knew the prophecies. They should have recognized it, but no, they didn't. They didn't see the Savior of the world. And I believe Jesus, to this day, is still amazed at the level of unbelief in most churches. And let me just throw this out there. I heard this phrase this week, and I've heard it at least three times in my life. And, and the phrase is, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not going to do what the Bible says. If you, if you say that, if you even think that, you automatically disqualify yourself from service in the kingdom of God. Because the, the word of God is our guide, and we need to be under its authority. And so I'm just declaring that right now. If those words come out of your mouth, you disqualify yourself from serving here. Now, the opposite end of the amazement spectrum happens from somebody who's not a Jew. In fact, he's a Roman centurion, and, and they, the people hated the centurions, hated the, the Roman military because they could, they could lawfully abuse you in the name of the king, of, of, of Caesar. And so Jesus is at his adopted hometown, which is Capernaum, and, and I pray to God we get to go next summer. Next July 15th, we're, we're planning, we're on the schedule to go with Praying Pelican to Israel. We will go to Capernaum. It's on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. It's his adopted hometown, and it's where all of these people came through. There were major trade routes there, so the Romans came through, and, and, and uh, the Jews came through. Every nationality came through this place. I think that's why Jesus went there on purpose, because there were all kinds of people coming through this this. Centurion was not a normal Roman person, though. He, he had compassion on the Jews so much so that he built a synagogue for them. And so he has a, a slave that gets sick, and he sends some of the Jewish leaders to talk to Jesus, and, he's, and he asks him to, to heal his slave. It's a huge deal. Jesus agrees with them. He starts to come to, to this centurion's house. Before he gets there, the centurion sends some of his friends out, and here's what he says to Jesus in Luke 7, 7 through 9. I'm not even worthy to come meet you. And, and this is what I want us to be, a just say the word, Christ follower. You just say the word, Jesus, and I'm going to do it. Look what he says. You're not ordinary. All those people, he didn't know about the Nazareth thing. We know about the Nazareth thing. All those people in Nazareth, they think you're ordinary. You're not ordinary. You're extraordinary because your authority is from somewhere else. Look what he says. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am a man under the authority of my superior officers. I get authority. You have authority. 
I'm under my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go and they go, come and they come. And if, and if I say to my slave, do this, they do it. And look at what it says. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he turned to the crowd that was following him, a bunch of Jews. And he says, I tell you, I hadn't seen faith like this in all of Israel. The people who have the scripture, the people chosen by God, the people who came across the Red Sea on dry ground, the people who came across the Jordan River on dry ground, the people who took the promised land, who'd never fought before, but God went before them and fought for them. He says, I've not seen faith like this among the people that I've chosen. And he was amazed. Two different times Jesus was amazed. He was amazed at the lack of faith and he was amazed at unbelievable great faith. And so I want to ask you this. If Jesus were to look at your level of faith, would he be amazed at your level of faith or would he be amazed at your unbelief? And I want you to think of a scale of one to 10. Over the last seven days, 10 is audacious. If God doesn't come through faith, we're in trouble. One is nobody would have any clue. There would not be enough evidence to convince you, convict you of being a Christian if you went to, to court to be tried. In the last seven days, what have you done? How, how much faith have you exercised? Or how about this? Since we've been talking about finances, in the last 12 months, what kind of faith have you shown with your finances? <laughs> Did you attempt something so bold that, that if God didn't come through for you, there's no way it could happen? See, if you're going to be up on the higher end of the spectrum, you're going to have to do something that will amaze Jesus. If you want to be like everybody else, do nothing. And he'll be amazed at your unbelief. Would the world be different based on the prayers you've prayed in the last seven days. See, some of you, there would be people healed of cancer. You, you've been on your face praying that God would heal people this last week. Or maybe a child would be adopted into a family. Maybe a, a marriage would be healed. Unbelievable things would be different today because of the prayers you've prayed over the last seven days. For some of you, the only thing you prayed for was that your food would be blessed, if you even did that. Or some of you pray, God, please give us traveling mercy. Help us get where we're wanting to go safely. Can I tell you that 99% of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time, you're probably going to get there safely without God's help? But that's the only thing you've prayed in the last few weeks, or maybe that grandma wouldn't get run over by a reindeer for it's close to Christmas. God give us traveling mercy. For some people, there'd be absolutely nothing different in the world because you didn't pray anything, you didn't give anything this last week or this last year. Would God be amazed at your great faith or would he be blown away at your unbelief? Rate yourself one to 10. Just, just in your mind, do that. Because here's what I want us to be as a church. God is calling us to be faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers to never insult God with small thinking or safe living. Now, if you're on the lower end of the faith scale, I want you to pay attention. I'm gonna give you three facts about faith. Here's the first one. You cannot play it safe and please God because the word of God says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. And it is, what is that word? Impossible. Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise, is not going to show up and please God with his impossible mission force. That, it, it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. If you can do everything in your power that you've planned to do, you don't need God and you have no faith, you are unfaithful. You can't please God without faith. Years ago, I, I took um, my youth group down to Piney Woods Baptist Encampment and uh, I'd only been at this church a couple of months 
And so uh, they, they wanted me to do recreation with them. And one of the recreation things was a ropes course. And I had never been on a pamper pole before. I didn't know why they called it a pamper pole. Supposedly, it's so scary that when you're at the top, you need a diaper because you're going to wet yourself. That's why they call it a pamper pole. And so my teenagers in my youth group were like, Doug, we want to see you. So I, was, I had to go first. We all go, and they're watching, and I have this crowd. Well, climbing up the pole, it's like a telephone pole, and you know it has the little uh, climbing thing. So I'm climbing up. That doesn't bother me at all. The problem is when you get to the top of the pamper pole, when you step from the last rung, all you have is, is about this much space. It's the top of the telephone pole. You're about 25 feet up in the air. There's nothing to hold on to. So you have to stick your foot up there, and then you have to trust yourself to stand up. Now, you, are, you, are on a, you do have a safety harness. You got all of that stuff. I was not worried about any of those things. What I was worried about, there's a trapeze that hangs out here. And what I was worried about is missing the trapeze and these teenagers in my youth group never letting me hear the end of it. So I get up there and I'm thinking, I am jumping with everything. And I jump. And of course, it's not as far as you think it is. It just looks far because you're 25 feet off the ground. And so you're hanging there. Even when you make it to the, to the trapeze bar, you still have to drop. You're 25 feet up there and you have to trust the person on the ground. And some of them were sadistic. Y'all ever seen um, Mission Impossible, the first one, where, where they drop Tom Cruise down and right before he gets to the floor, he's doing this? They would do that. I mean, I, I don't know if they're trying to help you meet Jesus or confess your sins. I don't know what they're trying to do because when people would jump and they would miss, some of them, some of them are like those little kitties. Y'all seen these. I know y'all seen these on Facebook. When the little kitty jumps and it jumps about that far, that's what some people did when they're at the top of the pamper pole. They're like, ah, ah, you know, and, and they would, right before you hit the ground, they would stop. And, and the guy, the safety people would go, <laughs> and the person who just, you know, almost hit the ground, they're, they're not pleased with that person. They're not in tight fellowship with them. So some people would be on top of that pamper pole. They would not go. And we're like, dude, we're about to climb up there and push you off. And in a couple of instances, people would not come off. And so the, the instructor has to pull them off. Get off there, sucker. Now, here's the point. If you ever jump, it's a rush. Some people never experience the rush because they stayed on the pole. Well, they did because they had to come down. They would try to climb down. They're like, you're going to climb it down. We're pulling you off of there, sucker. You're going to experience this rush one way or the other. The point is, so many people never try anything for God. They're afraid, so they never step out. They play it safe. So really, in the kingdom of God, if you read the New Testament especially, it's like, I think God's calling me to do this, and here I go, wow, right? So I want you to repeat this after me. Go ahead and put it up there if you would, Nate. I cannot play it safe. And please God. Let's say it again. I cannot play it safe. And please God. You remember when the disciples were in the boat? And um, so what had happened is, is Jesus sent them on ahead. They're in the boat. He's up on the mountain praying. And there's a huge storm that comes along. You remember what Jesus does? Jesus just cruising across the water. And they, they've never seen somebody walking on top of water. And so they think it's a ghost. And they scream out. And here's, this is crazy. This is what God does. So, so four years ago, I started a verse-by-verse -verse study through the Scripture. I have my commentary. I have my notebook and my prayer journal. And I'm not making this up. Yesterday. Yesterday, I come across, this is already in my sermon, and, and I come across this, and so I'm studying it yesterday. And, and so Jesus is walking across, and they think it's a ghost, and he's like, no, 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 it's I. And Peter's like, if it's really you, Jesus, tell me to come walk on the water. Now, what if it hadn't been Jesus? We would not be talking about Pete today. Okay, next year, if we get to go to Israel, 
We'll get in a Jesus boat and we'll go out on the Sea of Galilee. And it's really cool. It is awesome. We sing songs. We worship. It is awesome to be out on the Sea of Galilee. If that hadn't been Jesus, we would float out there and go, this is where Peter tried to walk on. This is where Peter died. He's down there somewhere. <laughs> That's what we would remember about Peter. But, but by the grace of God, it was Jesus. And, and we give him a bum rap, right? He gets a bum rap because he's walking on water and he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. But in, the, in recorded history, in world history, there's only two people ever walked on water, Jesus and Pete, so let's cut him some slack, right? Some of you have been sitting on your butt in a church for 30 or 40 years. And when you stand before God, you will give an account for never taking a risk for him. You're not any closer to God today than you were a year ago, and, and let's just be honest today. You're not going to be any closer to God next year, one year from today, because you never do anything for the kingdom of God. You're so afraid of falling that you won't take any steps, or, or let's just be real. Some people are just so selfish. My life is about me. It's not about God. But, but think of this. Peter walked on water. He started to fall. But who was right there? Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus picked him up. And they walked back to the boat together. He got back on top of the water. So failing isn't falling and failing isn't fatal as long as Jesus is there. And, and, and you just can't play it safe and please God. And I would argue that if you're not failing every now and then, you're not taking any risk for God. You don't have any faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, so when God looks at your faith, is he amazed or at your belief or your unbelief. Second fact about faith. If you have a guarantee, you don't have faith. Manufacturer's warranty, right? Rachel and Matt just had an air conditioner go out, and by the grace of God, it was only six months into that, and they got a new air conditioner. Woo! Does God give guarantees? He gives one. You remember one of his names? We sing about it every, every Christmas, and John sings that song, God with us. His name is Emmanuel. He gives us that promise. That's a guarantee. But he doesn't promise that you're going to get all of your, your wishes or your greeds fulfilled. Here's what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. It says, faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. I think that, that, if, that in the kingdom of God, I don't think I've ever been more than about 80% sure of anything. If I'm 100% sure of something, God's not required. I can do it in my power. There's been a lot of times, and even some of y'all told me we've done some things in this church that you're like, I'm not even sure we're 51% God's going to show up, right? You have, to, you have to step out sometimes. God, I think you're calling me to do this. Is it you, God? How do you know? And, and we, we're not talking about going out and jumping off a cliff and saying, God, catch me, idiot, right? <laughs> you will make a greasy spot, and we'll make jokes about you. You remove yourself from the gene pool. That, that's our award. If you do it spectacularly enough, there is an award they'll give you for removing yourself from the gene pool. I'm not talking. What I'm talking about is you can have, but you can't have both. You can have faith, you can have control, you can't have both. Sometimes you just have to say, I think God is calling me to do this. I'm looking in the scripture. It doesn't contradict scripture. It doesn't contradict how he's wired me, how he's trained me to be. And the people of God are not saying, hey, whoa, you're doing something dumb. You need to pay attention. If, if all of those are, are, are in your favor, then, then, then jump. Someone's going to start a business or you're going to start a ministry and you're going to want to guarantee, God, I want steps four, five, and six before I start steps one and two. Is that how God operates? 
No, one at a time, one day at a time. <laughs> you can't play it safe and please God. Someone here is going to be uh, praying about asking somebody out. Ask her out. You got to ask her out before you ever get married. And so then someday when you have a son, name him Doug. Because <laughs> I helped you get some action. All right? Which is, which is legal in, in marriage, all right? Okay, so God created that stuff. We, we actually, Keith has wanted to do this ever since. He, they've been in our church 18-something uh, years. They're, they're almost the longest people in our church. And, and so we talk about sex around here. And he said one time he's going to put a, a ticker up here. And every time I say sex, he's going to ding, ding, ding. Because in most churches, when you mention that, he said sex. Designed by God. You're here because God designed it. My kids didn't like to, to hear it, but I'm like, hmm, the reason you're here is because I like your mama. <laughs> Let me give you a third fact about faith. Number three, to step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. How's it going to end up? I don't know. We were sitting out at Lower Lake two weeks before we started this church. So in... Um, June of, of uh, 2002. We started June 22nd of 2002. Didn't have a job, didn't have any place to go, no money coming in. A friend of mine said, you need to start New Life Community Church. Palestine needs that church. So we're out there and we're praying and, and we're kind of crying going, we don't know what to do. And Janie said, I, I don't want to look back 20 years from now. We're almost 20 years in. She said, I don't want to look back 20 years from now and say, what would have happened if we'd taken that step of faith? And so we took the step of faith and... and it's been a journey. It's been awesome. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Abraham is considered the father of the Jewish nation. Um, we talked about him in our starting point. If you hadn't seen that series, you can go back and watch it. But Abraham is actually the beginning point of, of a couple of different religions, uh, Judaism and Islam. Um, they, they diverge very radically, and we believe that, that Abraham um, is the father of the Jewish nation. And um, God comes to him when, he's, when he is an idol worshiper. He's living in a, in a place his father was an idol worshiper, so we just assume that he was an idol worshiper. God shows up and chooses Abraham, and he says, go to a land you don't know. And look what happens. Hebrews 11, 8 says this. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when he called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was, it was a several weeks, maybe several months trip, probably several months trip to get from where he was to where God was going to show him. And see, when you take your, that step of faith, your, your eyes are on the author and the perfecter of faith who says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you through the valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me, right? That's the promise. I will get you through everything. I don't want to go through it. Well, you're not in charge. God is. Would God be amazed at your faith or would he be amazed that you have access? See, here's the thing. When Jesus was talking to his people, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. He hadn't been resurrected from the, the dead yet. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. What's your excuse? We know that the grave is empty. We know that Jesus is not there. And the Bible tells us the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to his followers. We have, if you're a Christ follower, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And the Bible says you can even have the mind of Christ. What's your excuse for not reflecting Christ? You may take a step of faith 
to tell someone about Jesus. You got somebody you, you work with or you know in your family that you, they desperately need Christ. How's it going to turn out? I don't know, but you need to tell them. Some of you are going to tithe for the first time. Tithe means 10%. You're going to give 10% of your income to the church. And you're going, the math doesn't make sense. But here's what you're going to learn. I've been tithing my, my older brothers here today. And I was in his church way back right after college and right before um, I started attending his church when I graduated. I started tithing in college. So I've been tithing since I was 19 years old. And I can tell you, this is what I've learned. I'm 56 now. I've learned that 90% with God's blessing goes further than 100% without the blessing of God. And so I, I don't know, sometime I'll have to add it up, but it's, it's over, it's over $100,000 I've given in that amount of time to the kingdom of God. Do you think when I stand before God, he goes, ah, you shouldn't have given that money to the church. You should have bought a boat. <laughs> Some of you are going to, for the first time, you're going to step out in faith and trust God with your finances. Some of you are going to step out and start a small group. One of the things that blesses my heart, Rachel and Matt started a small group. Y'all, the, the little coffee bar out there, they did that on their own. They're just dreaming up ways to serve the church. And they say, hey, can we do this? Yes, woo! Go for it. <laughs> when you give, when you start a small group, when you serve in the community, when some of you are going to go back there and serve in the children's area, the youth area. Some of you are going to serve in the two-year-old area. And, and one, one, uh, one comedian called two-year-old's tiny crazy crackheads because you don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to do, right? And there's more of them than there are of you and some of you are going to go back there and serve and, and it's going to be awesome. Some of you are going to work with teenagers and you're going you're to fall in love and you're scared to death to step out and you're going to fall in love with these kids and you're going to say, this is the greatest thing I do is help them in a time that's really confusing. It was confusing when I grew up but we had three channels and no remote control and a dial-up phone, and one in the house. I used to sneak it. When mom and dad would go to bed, I'd sneak it back in my room, and I'd go down the steps because the basement was under my room, and I'd close the door, and I would talk on the phone for hours. One time my sister kept trying to call. She had somebody trying to break in her house. She was really mad that I was on the phone. I'm like, call 911. I didn't need to talk to my girlfriend. <laughs> it's really confusing nowadays, and some of you are called by God because you've been healed by God to share your story with the next generation. The reason we have uh, the landing, which is 12-step recovery for teenagers, is because some people, Brandy's one of them. Brandy said, my life was, was a mess. You, if you were here, you heard her story. I interviewed her here several years ago. Unbelievable story of God's provision and grace and, and actually rescuing her. She'd been raped and, and beaten and, and thrown out in, in, in the woods to die. She's the one who started our Celebrate Recovery for Teenagers. And she, she'll send us texts and she'll say, oh, you, you won't believe what God did in, in the landing tonight. So she'll send me in the, in the board text and she'll say, this is what God did tonight and I just cannot believe what God did. See, if God's healed you, he didn't heal you just for you. He healed you for the next generation. And there should be ripple effects from your life that go on for the next 100 years. The reason churches are, are dying is because we, we don't have Christ followers. We have marginal believers. Oh, I believe in God. Do you do anything for him? Nope. 
I would respectfully say you don't believe in him if you're not doing anything for him. Now, no matter what, what step you take, here's what I want you to know. As you grow in your faith, we grow in our faith. Every time you're obedient, you grow a little bit spiritually in your relationship with God. And guess what? When you grow spiritually, our church grows spiritually. If you're not growing spiritually, our church is not growing spiritually. So it's time to step it up. When it comes to your times and your time and your talents and your treasure, some of you already know where I'm going with it. You'll know as soon as I say this. God didn't give us a small commission. What do we call it? We call it the Great Commission. And it requires His power. The reason we're struggling, and it's not really, it's not really the pandemic that's causing churches to struggle. It's that too many cr- people who call themselves Christ followers have a vision of God about this big. And that's what the world sees. So here's what I want us to do. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask, think, or imagine according to his power at work within us so that he can show his glory throughout all generations. That's what Ephesians 3.20 says. Do you know why people miss the power of God? Because they never ask, imagine, or think about what could do through, God could do through little old them. And so they miss the power of God. And the rest of 2020, I, I don't know. I don't know what's coming this next month. We had something weird every month, right? Since the end of February. Weird stuff. I don't know, but we're going to be a church that takes risks for God, for the glory of God, so that throughout all generations, God can say that's, that's what a follower looks like. That's what a church who follows Christ looks like. So what are we? We're faith-filled, big thinking, bet the farm risk takers. We're not going to insult God with small thinking or safe living. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace, but I thank you that there's enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. Not only was there enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, your son predicted it. Hundreds of years before he lived, the prophet said there will be a Messiah. He'll be bruised, he'll be broken. All of our iniquities will be cast on him. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be born to a virgin. He'll be of the family of David. And you fulfilled all those prophecies. And then when you lived here, you told us, you told people, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. John the Baptist said, you're the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We thank you that all of those things you predicted, you caused them to happen. Now, Lord, ignite a faith in us that carries out through the generations. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We, uh, we have one basket at the back where we're still taking things up in basket, and it's called our joy basket. That's how we give here at New Life, or you can give online, nlccp.com. Um, you can get the, the push pay app, and you can give that way. And let me just tell you what blesses my heart. Even in the midst of all of this craziness, there are teenagers who regularly give to our church. I get an email every day that summarizes people that have given, and it, and it took me back. This week, I saw somebody who gave, and I just, it just blessed my heart. This is a teenager who's figured out that I'm going to trust God with my finances. When we first started the church, didn't have enough money to do squat. And, and Janie would tell me, she'd say, hey, look at this. And, and there would be a check come in, and it'd be like for 10 or 15 bucks. And it would come in every week. 
And it was a family that couldn't spare 10 or 15 bucks a week. And she said, she would just smile and she said, God is doing something in our midst. And I'd say, yeah. So, so when, I, when I talk about giving to the kingdom of God, you're going to benefit more than the kingdom of God does, right? You, I mean, God's going to bless you for giving and then he's going to use your giving and multiply that. So that's why we do. That's why we talk about it every week. Now, if you don't know Christ, 2020 would be a good time to meet him, right? So if you have questions about that, let me know where there's people in our church would be happy to tell you about Jesus. All right, stand up, socially distance, air high five, and get out of here.